Welcome to the Wicked Ones Podcast. This is Jen. And this is Tara. <laughs> and welcome back. You guys yeah. are going to notice some big differences in our audio today. Oh, I'm sure. I have no idea. I'm praying this works well. Oh, it's really weird, guys. Hang in there with us. We're recording remote for the first time ever. Well, we did record remote previously, but it never made it to the air. <laughs> no, it was <laughs> it terrible. <laughs> Uh, so we'll see how this one goes. I know. Hopefully it's going to be better. I'm, it's kind of, it's kind of cool that we at least figured this much out. I could see you. Hi. It's yeah, been too long. I feel like I haven't it's... seen you in forever. Oh, but I, I can see why people get ready for these meetings now. You know, yeah. I, everyone talked about all these remote meetings. I never had to do any of that because it's not flattering. <laughs> <laughs> not in the slightest. Well, it's, it's also pretty grainy, honestly. Like you're super grainy. I can, like, I can't see you. That's clearly. good. Please keep me pixelated. <laughs> I appreciate that. Just in case we have to share this later. <laughs> Seriously, oh, but what else is new with you? Anything? Yeah. Uh, no. Besides just quarantining to be safe. So far, everybody's been okay. We don't really have any symptoms, which is good. And everybody back home is okay. So that makes me happy. But yeah, just kind of being safe. It's been weird though. The kids have been home and they, they've had to log in remotely for the first time. I mean, we've made it this far without having to ever deal with it. This is the first time for us to have to do this whole, this whole thing. So, but it's, it's going well. I mean, Chase is happy. He's online for like an hour and 15 minutes, then he's done. And uh, Ava logs in four times a day for 15 minutes and then otherwise just kind of works on her stuff. So really hasn't been bad except volleyball started this week and Ava's had to, she hasn't been able to join. So she's just dying to get back in the gym and meet her team. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, I can't really, I've been working on projects around the house. I ripped out, oh my God, you should have seen me the other day. I was so pissed off and I was like sweating. I'm like in Ava's room. I got all of the stuff out of her closet and I got the, uh, the impact and I'm trying to get these bolts out of the wall that are holding all the shelving and everything up. So I'm, I pulled it all out to cock it all. Oh, that might not be the right word. Speckle? Speckled mm -hmm. it? Yeah. You're trying to fill in the holes. Yeah. Yeah. So just getting those bolts out of the wall and trying to get everything down. It was horrible. I was cussing. I was yelling at it. I was hitting stuff. <laughs> Oh, I got it figured out though. in general just sounds awful. <laughs> it was really bad. I'm like, why didn't we hire somebody to do this? They were just really in there. I mean, they were not yeah. coming out. I well, that's the purpose, right? Yeah, yeah, it was rough. So I got it figured out. I felt really good about it once I finally got it done. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. <laughs> Remember, I can see you pixelated or not. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, sorry. So what about you? Anyway. What's going on? What um, have you been up to? Not a lot. Just work, school. I've read a couple of books. I read, today I just finished um, The Night She Disappeared, I think it's called. It's a new one by Lisa Jewell. I had it on hold for a long time. I love her books. Oh. I've read them all. So this one just came out. Or, well, it came out a little while ago, but I had it on hold. So it just came to me. It was good. It was not like her her other books so cool for a good read add that to your list my mom likes to read her now and I have never read anything by her so yeah I'll check her good. out I like yeah her. so 
what are we talking about today? Well, I know, but you tell me. Okay, I'll tell you. So we're going to start our JonBenet Ramsey series. It's going to be a three-parter, so I'm pretty excited about all this. There's just a lot to talk about. Not that, I mean, it's just terribly sad and heartbreaking, and it really is just so awful that it's still unsolved after all these years. But what? No, it's just, oh. yeah, I, I hate doing unsolved cases, but this is one of those ones where with every little bit and piece of the story that I hear, I go like another direction. I do too. And just because I knew we were going to do this story and it's been so long since I've actually like listened to anything or read up on it at all. I've really been staying away from everything. So I am not biased when we do our story so that I can really listen and re-listen to everything that we talk about and try to decide what I really think. So I'm excited yeah, for so that part of it just because it's an old case for me. So even going through the stuff that I'm going to tell you today, some of this I forgot. And maybe you'll hear something new, but I doubt it because I know you listen to this stuff a lot. So, and I know that this is one that you've listened to, um, you know, fairly recently because we just talked about it not too long ago, but. Well, and I feel like it pops up again every year around this time. It uh, does. So it does. I haven't listened to anything recently. I mean, obviously I started diving into our research, but mm -hmm. I haven't listened. I feel like it's kind of this the anniversary every year. I kind of, there's yeah. always something released new. I feel like that too. Even talking to my dad about it and telling him what we were going to do. He said, oh, I just saw something on the news the other day about that. And I said, well, I'm not surprised because, you know, it was, a, it happened at Christmas time. And he was like, oh yeah. He's like, I don't, I don't know why he didn't remember that, that it was Christmas. Oh, I'm like, wow. it was Christmas day. And he said, oh, okay, maybe it was, I don't know. He was in the middle of like all the Thanksgiving stuff and cooking. So he probably was only half paying attention to me. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people already know about this case, obviously. I mean, if, if anybody lives in America and is old enough to be listening to our podcast and is at all interested in true crime, they've heard this case before. But they have, but I think it'll be nice to get uh, kind of a refresher. Mm -hmm. I do too. I do too. I mean, I think it's one of those that we, we can't stop thinking about it as Americans, as, as true crime enthusiasts, you know, we just, we want answers. So maybe, maybe one day we'll get them, but until then, I'm just going to kind of talk in this first part a little bit about, I just want to kind of go over the timeline of what happened from that Christmas day to the following day when her body is discovered. So that's okay. what I am going to cover. So I'll go ahead and get started. Uh, Jean Benet Patricia Ramsey was an American six-year-old beauty queen. And sadly, as we mentioned, her body was found brutally murdered in her family's home in Boulder, Colorado on December 26, 1996. The discovery of her body was made by her father, John, approximately seven hours after her mother Patricia had called 911 and the family had reported her missing and had given the police a three-page ransom note that was left in their home. The case still remains unsolved to this day, but the media sensation and national interest is like nothing we've ever seen. I mean, I don't think, do you? I know that there's other deep dive cases out there, but the famous ones that have really puzzled us for decades, would I personally think of it? I think of the Zodiac, Jack the Ripper, the Black Dahlia, and John Bonet. I mean, right? Is there any other ones that you can think of that you kind of kind of, kind of come back to? 
No, not off the top of my head, but I feel like this is just one because it's a little girl and mm-hmm. the time of year. It just And honestly, I just think there's so much surrounding it, right? She was so young. She was so cute and beautiful. She was this little beauty queen, which I think being from the Midwest, we just don't understand any of that. I remember seeing the tabloids and all these pictures and I'm like, why does that little girl have so much makeup on? And why, you know what I mean? What is she wearing and what is going on? Cause we, we don't do that up here. It's such a Southern thing. And I think a lot of America that doesn't understand just the pageant life and what they do down there, that was another part of it that everybody was fascinated by. Don't you think? Yeah, no, I think the pageant, and I think it's also, you know, dad was super successful, and I think they were just kind of the storybook family. Mm -hmm. They portrayed this perfect lifestyle that everyone admired. Mm -hmm. 100%. Very wealthy. They live in a super safe neighborhood. I mean, supposedly, right, this upscale community, and yeah, things like that weren't supposed to happen there. So Christmas Day, December 25th, 1996. We can only imagine the morning was like any other fun-filled Christmas morning for the Ramsey family, complete with breakfast, presents, all the holiday traditions that we all look so forward to. I mean, by all accounts from what I read, it sounded like a wonderful day with family and friends. Their close family friends, Fleet and Priscilla White, hosted Christmas dinner for the second year in a row. The Ramseys left their home around 8.30 that evening. They then stopped by two friends' houses for a short time along the way to drop off gifts. Then they arrived home shortly after 9 p.m. JonBenet had fallen asleep in the car, so John carried her up to her second floor bedroom, and Patricia, Patsy, as she's known as, gets her dressed and ready for bed. They said she did not wake up during this time. John then went to get Burke ready for bed too, but the boy wanted help putting together one of his new toys. So by the time John had finished and tucked him in, he went up to their third floor master that had been converted from an attic space, and Patsy was already in bed. He said he took a melatonin and set his alarm for 5.30 a.m. The family had an early day the next day. They were supposed to take their private plane to their vacation home in Charlevoix, Michigan, and they had plans to then go on to Florida to take the kids on a Disney cruise. So yes, this is not your typical family. Can you imagine doing those things? Oh, just got to get up in the morning and take our private plane to the vacation home and after that, we're going to be heading to the Disney cruise and then. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, no. that sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, and just listening to what you said, there's already like, I can think of a couple different variations and versions of what you said that I've read. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's I'm so sure. so many versions out there. I'm so sure. Yeah. No. And that was my, that was one of my fears was that I was going to get something wrong, but I went ahead and I, I really stuck with a trusted source and gave you the timeline from that. And there's a few things that I read here and there that are a little conflicting, but I don't know that it matters that much. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that conflicting information matters as much to the story, but maybe it does some of the things you've heard. And then some of them could be rumors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So then continuing on, Patsy gets up in the morning uh, around 5.30 or so. Heads down to wake up John Benet around 5.45 a.m. She's ready to get the kids up and, you know, get them all packed and ready for their flight. When she gets to her room, she sees that her daughter is not in her bed. So she heads down the black winding staircase outside of her room down to the first floor, where she notices three pieces of lined paper sitting side by side on one of the lower steps. 
So at this point, she's just discovered the infamous ransom note. Okay, so what I, one big discrepancy that I am noticing just from what you've said is that everything that I've ever read said that she discovered the ransom note prior to waking up JonBenet. Okay, because and actually- she came down from her stairs. Her stairs are, were a private stair. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I, and that's okay because actually the next thing that I wrote down to share is that there are some accounts that say she saw the note first and then went to go wake up her daughter. And then I actually wrote down that I'm not sure the order is relevant, whether she tried to wake her up first and then found the note or found the note and then woke her up, unless we're trying to figure out if she had her story straight. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so that- But anyway, sorry, I won't interrupt you anymore. No, 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 I'll, I hope, I'll wait I hope that you do, because again, I really want to get this right. I don't want to say anything that's not true. I don't think that we can get it right, though. There's so many different stories out there. I don't know who really knows the truth, to be no, honest. And I, and I think that you're correct on that, because there were even some things that I read from a source that I trust, a new source that I trust, not just some random, you know, reported article from some, you know, podcast. <laughs> Got vivid. <laughs> um, but it, it said... They actually talked about one of the one of John's daughters that passed away in a car accident and it had the wrong daughter listed. And I was like, how do you get that wrong? This poor girl's still alive. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, yes, I do know what you're saying. These things would never be as they would never be brought to light. And it probably wouldn't matter if there wasn't such a big investigation that had to take place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you're going to be the expert on that whole area of the, the investigation, which yeah. I, I can't I'm going to armchair detective that. Oh my God. I know that you're going to do a great job with it though. So, um, okay. So right now, actually I am going to play for you the 911 call. Um, uh, that is the very next thing that happens is Patricia calls 911 at 5 52 AM. So here we go. I'm going to play the call for you now. about it I, <laughs> I i'm very conflicted i think we should i mean first impression listening to it i was trying to put myself in her position as a frantic mother trying to call and figure out at the same time what the hell's going on and where's my daughter right what about I, you I, absolutely i i you know 911 calls are one of those things where 
we're not supposed to pass judgment because we just don't know until we're in that situation. Mm -hmm. You just don't know how you're going to react. Some people are cool, calm and collected because they're in shock. Like, I don't know. I, and Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I think this case is probably really hard for me just for the simple fact that with the Ramseys, they're just, they have a bad situation no matter what. Because if I think they did it, I feel bad. But if they didn't do it, I feel bad. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, like, no, I, it does make sense. This is like, one of those cases that goes round and round and round. There's always something that doesn't make sense in every. I'm not impressed by the 911 call, like at all. She doesn't come off to me as a truly frantic mother. I can't judge. I don't want to judge that, especially if she truly was. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't yeah. come off to me that way. That's not my first feeling. Okay. And I feel like you have a lot more experience with, with that just being at the hospital and seeing how people react to different things. I think that maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but for no, me, I think that I, I, I think don't. you see a lot of it. Yeah. Do you feel like she is. I don't know. I've only listened to it twice. That's only the second time I've listened to it. So I haven't listened to it trying to think, is she acting? Is she pretending to be frantic? Is she really frantic? I don't, I don't know because I'm so like you, I always try to think, how would I react in a situation like that? I don't even know that I'd be able to talk. Somebody else would have probably had to call 911 for me. Because when I'm really upset and I yeah, start talking about a situation, I like shut down and I feel like my vocal cords, like I, I just cry. I can't speak. Yeah. So that's me personally. I don't. So I don't know. I, I don't, like I said, I don't want to speak you know speak ill I think it's it's horrible I mean right Patsy's not with us anymore today and I know if she truly didn't have answers for what happened to her daughter and that's terrible I I can't even imagine but at the same time if you ask my honest opinion I'm not overlooking the one call okay no that's that's interesting to know I don't really know how I feel I just know that I wouldn't have been able to make that phone call Billy would have been up. I would have been off the beam. I would have been like, I would probably have been on the phone with you and you wouldn't have been able to hear anything that I was saying because I would have just been like, right. I would have just been incoherent. So that's just how I would react. Um, I think, I don't know. Right. Yeah. I I I don't know. So the police arrive within minutes. Boulder police officer, Rich French is the first on the scene. He pulls up to the large red brick Tudor style home located at 755 15th Street in the city's University Hills neighborhood. Patsy answers the door. She's wearing black pants and a red sweater. Her husband, John, joins them shortly. He's wearing khakis and a blue and white striped shirt. Um, Something interesting that I wanted to note as well, Patsy would have been turning 40 in just a few days. I believe it was three days from that date. And uh, John is 53. He uh, was married previously and has um, three kids from uh, his previous marriage. French noted that his first impression of the couple, Patsy seemed agitated and distraught, while John appeared to be tense but calm and collected. I honestly feel that sometimes that's the case with couples. 
So I feel like when one person's having a hard time keeping it together, the other one kind of tends to step up and try to keep their head on straight for everybody. I've noticed that situation even between Billy and I, like the one time I remember that he was so upset and couldn't, you know, just wasn't mm -hmm. himself. I think it freaked me out to the point that I was fine. I couldn't show emotion. I couldn't be upset with him and for him. I just had to be there and make sure that I was, do you know what I mean? That I was clear and I was helpful and I was just in like a total robot mode. So maybe, so I could kind of see it that way. She's hysterical. She's upset. She's frantic. He's, he's got to pull it together for, you know, for the two of them. I could see that. What about you? What's your yeah, take on no. that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm usually very, I don't, I'm not, I mean, I'm overreacting on the inside as well, but I'm usually very put together on the outside. People usually can't recognize if I'm losing my shit in those type of situations. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that for sure. You can probably always tell when I'm upset, <laughs> right? I don't know. Yeah, you're pretty. I, I'm pretty, like I wear my feelings pretty much on, yeah. out in the open. You yeah. can tell by looking at my face and by my whole demeanor when something's wrong, I think, right? Where me, it's like, Jen, you won the lottery or Jen, you're going to die in two days. And I have the same. The face. same reaction. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I can't tell if you're happy, sad. I'm like, I feel like on? it's my job. I think my job has done that to me because I'm not allowed to show any type of like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Any reaction for bad news or. Yeah. So yeah. I, I like... see that in my dad too, with his line of work. I mean, you just, you have to shut that part of your down. It's so sad. Are we going to get that back? I don't know. I'll no. let you know. You'll I'm let me know. On... I will let you know. I'm going to work on that. <laughs> um, okay. So, so at this point, French is there, he comes into the home and he sees the ransom note. It's been moved from the stairs to the wooden floor in the hallway, just off the kitchen. It's been written in black felt tip pen black handwriting is what it said so it was noted that it could have either been written maybe by someone trying to disguise their writing or possibly with their non-dominant hand or even someone who was just extremely nervous or distressed um okay so now i'm going to read the note to you so that you know what it said and it is quite the note this note it this just goes on and it's my crazy. mind it does it blows my mind have you ever seen anything like this? Like, no, like, and even, I still can't believe it's real. Every time I, I read it, I just still can't even fathom what was going on in that person's head. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So here we go. I'm going to read it to you now. Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We cross out respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed. And if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. 100,000 will be in $100 bills and the remaining 18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate size attache to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the, and then this is page two, money, and hence an earlier, another word that's crossed out, 
pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if you are and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions, and then it goes to page three, and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good Southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John. Victory, S-B-T-C. And that's the note. That's insane. So I read somewhere that ransom notes are usually like three sentences. Well, yeah. Usually, well, think about it. In, in my, well, in our experience with any of the cases that we've talked about, they're really short. It's, this, yeah. was in, this was crazy. This was like a whole like manifesto ransom note like a whole you know what I mean like this was I don't well, know and like how do you go from it's almost like polite in the beginning we don't you know it's not the you that we have a problem with mm-hmm. and then it's we're going to like beheading like terrorism in four sentences it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense it's like pieced together from all these different things yeah and it starts out very motherly like to me that's the vibe I get like listen here like almost like I'm gonna be like listen here Stella like this is the way it's gonna be you know what I mean like it sounds Mm -hmm. very motherly almost like maybe more than one person wrote it no I don't think more than one person wrote it I don't get that vibe no I think that someone was trying to channel something that they necessarily didn't have yeah right that would make sense too so one of my main sources not to anybody's surprise I don't think because I talk about John Douglas all the time I think he's awesome and I got some of some of my information from his book The Cases That Haunt Us um, by John Douglas and Mark Olshaker and and when I was reading about the notes I just, it was so interesting. I had to put this in here. I had to tell you what he, what his take on the note was. So he said, and I quote, when I first saw the note, how long and bizarre it was. First thought was that regardless of who wrote it, it had to have been written before the killing, not afterward. No one, family member or intruder would have the presence of mind, the mental concentration to sit down in the house and write this out with the body lying in the basement. That was his first impression was who's going to, you know, and I know we aren't talking about scenarios or theories yet, but I just thought it was interesting. He never thought this note was staged. And you'll hear about many people later who really did think that it was. Um, and he's not saying that money couldn't have been the end goal. I mean, it, it very well could have been. 
but just that it just seemed deliberate. Like, like it wasn't written hastily after the murder took place. He, he, he said kind of like what you did, that it would be short and to the point, like as short as possible. So as not to give anything away, right. Or to clue people into anything, like who you are, what you watch, what you think about, you know what I'm saying? Like, like it makes sense that it would just be three sentences. So now I want to talk a little bit about the note. So you and I were talking about this case a few months ago, and you mentioned how interesting it was to listen to Paul Holes like break it down, and that he talked about the movie lines that were pulled from it. And I thought it was cool too. I knew it sounded familiar, but I couldn't remember where I heard it. And then when I was reading again this this chapter and the information that that John Douglas had put in his book, he also mentions this. And you're right; it's really strange when you break it all down where everything probably came from like it's insane right? it yeah. is it's yeah. really really crazy and you know I don't know if a lot of people have heard this aspect of it this is cool so I wanted to talk about it so he first mentions that the note appears to have been written by somebody well educated for sure I mean the spelling the way you know the way that it flows the word the words sure I can see that um and then he did mention too that he thought the amount that was asked for seemed very amateur like they weren't dealing with professional criminals like they wanted them to think that they were um because 118,000 was just very little compared to their wealth right like they could have they could have asked for a lot more um as far as the movie lines go he um he had also come to the same conclusion and he felt that it was possible that a teen or a young adult who was into these types of movies could have written it you know because like let's look at a few examples. So I wrote some. I wrote some down. Um, the, okay. So the part where it said, "You and your family are under constant scrutiny, as well as the authorities, and don't try to grow a brain, John." Those were from Speed, right? Dennis Hopper says that to Keanu Reeves' character. Don't try to grow a brain. And you, like as soon as I read that, I remember like that's like the famous line from the movie, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that had just come out on video. And then speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, et cetera, will result in your daughter being beheaded. Um, d- those lines definitely sounded like something from Ransom, the movie with uh, Mel Gibson. Yeah, I remember seeing that a while ago. Um, and then some of the other, some of the other things like um, um, if we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you know, you talk to the authorities, she dies. If you know all of those lines in there. That was very dirty, hairy. Um, not word for yeah. word. Yeah, right. No, I mean, not, not word, word for word. word yeah, but I think close. it was like if I see you talking to like a cockapoo or something. Like it's right. very, very similar. Mm-hmm. It's it's all of it's all of these movies combined, um, and especially now. Listen to me carefully. And another part from Dirty Harry as well from the movie where it says it sounds like you had a good rest. You'll need it. In the note, it says the delivery will be exhausting. So you know, I suggest that you're rested. Dirty Harry. Yeah. That's insane. I just, I don't know. I don't know what it means, but it's just, I mean. No, it's, it's bizarre. The note is just so freaking bizarre. It is bizarre. It is bizarre. And I know they say, you know, okay, so she's, she was what? She's almost 40. Who's to say what they, what they watched or what they were into? I watch all those movies. I love speed. I love movies like that. I feel that. like, yeah, I know. I don't think that needs to be a team. Yeah. So I don't know movies. that I, I right. don't agree with that part of it. I think anyone could have watched those because we're all like 
very popular box office mm-hmm. movies. Yeah. And I, I look at my dad, you know, he's six in his like early sixties, but those are the type of movies that he watches too, you know? And I mean, I just, I don't know that you could pinpoint that or say that's not a, that's not something a mother would watch, or that's not something a mother would say, I, I don't really know, you know? No, I don't. I, well, and obviously if you're using all those movie references, you put a lot of thought into that note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the other thing that I don't understand because they said that it was written on paper from their home. Mm-hmm. The only fingerprints on there were Eddie's. Yeah, I mean, I just. Which I guess she picked up the notes, so technically it could just be hers. The mm-hmm. person could have wore gloves. I don't know, but they were saying, I mean, and there was a, I can't, I can't give you the stats right now because I don't have them in front of me and I don't want to misinterpret, but there was someone who believed that Patty, her handwriting matched. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, but they were saying in the beginning, it seems like page one, that person was either, like you said, writing with the wrong hand or even trying to disguise their handwriting because mm-hmm. as the note went on, the handwriting changed. So as it went on, it, I mean, you know how it is. I try mm-hmm. to write like the damn elf, right? And it like <laughs> lasts for like three letters. And then all of a sudden it was like my handwriting again. You know how it mm-hmm. is. Like, oh yeah. Impossible. Oh yeah. And I just, I don't know how much stock to put into handwriting analysis. I don't know. You know, I go back I'm and forth sure. with that too. I'm not really sure. It was on their paper. It was, it was, so it had to have been written at their home, which is just baffling to me. Again, why wasn't it only like three short sentences if it was somebody who, okay, A, it was somebody who's wanting to truly kidnap her for ransom. Wouldn't you, I mean, I don't know, especially if it's somebody that's a little bit more amateur that, that hasn't done this before, or, you know, maybe there was a sexual component to it. You would think that they weren't just going to be like, oh, da-da-da, I've got some time. I'll just sit here and write this note for like 35 minutes. You'd think they'd be like anxious to get get done what they're going to do, whether it's just to kidnap her and take her out of the home or if it's if it's truly a sexual motivation, motivated crime, then you wouldn't think they'd be able to wait that long. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, and the other theory is that the pad of paper was taken from the home. Ah, uh, and then returned when the note was written. Returned. Return. Well, that would also go along with the theory that the person who was in there had seen something in that amount of $118,000 and knew to ask for it. Yeah. So, so that's very true. So a few other things, the part that said they represent a small foreign faction and the word behead when talking about killing their daughter, like who talks like that? It seriously, like not only sounds like something from a movie or like a TV show, but I think another reason why people are saying teen or young adult is it's very D&D, right? It's like Dungeons and Dragons or Xena or Highlander, like those kind of things. Like nobody says beheading in normal everyday conversation or like when they talk about offing somebody, you know? No, it's very, like I thought it was very terrorist-like, but it also a small foreign faction. So Mm -hmm. we have a small foreign faction coming to kidnap one six-year-old girl for $118,000. Mm-hmm. Cause it all makes so much sense. It's so, it just doesn't, it's not believable. It, no, no. 
I could talk and about this. No, the note could hours. just also just be a complete, I'm sure this is another theory, like a red herring just to throw totally. people off to look at it and go, what the hell does this mean? And it doesn't mean anything, you know? Yeah. So there's always that. So the other, the other part of it too, is just that there's just many things that sound awkward and amateur and just very pieced together, like we said, and they never call her by her name, right? Or the person who wrote it, or I say they, but just because I don't know, they say your daughter. Do they not know her name? Do they not know how to spell it? They just, that's all they said. That's all they referred to. They never once said Jean Benet anywhere in the know. So that's something to think about as well, I think. Um, or did they not want to say her name because of the close connection? Could be. Like there's, you could totally just spin that so many different mm-hmm. ways. Yeah, you can. You can. And that's why this is so crazy. That's why this case is just so, I found every time I would think something before, there's always a hole. There was always something that didn't fit. There was always a loose end that didn't, that couldn't be explained in every single theory that I came, that I came across. So I'm, I'm, it's going to be interesting when we, when we bring all those into play, kind of going back and forth. And a lot of people have also suggested too, because of the specific number um on the flip side why like if it was the Ramses like okay they knew they had that number they knew this you know that they had this in their account or whatever so they were going to say that specific number and that's why it points to them is what I think people were trying to say but on the flip side why would they be so obvious right like why wouldn't they why wouldn't they just say a few million like if they knew they weren't going to pay it because I believe they, so that was this, the amount of John's bonus, right? His mm-hmm. bonus was 118000 So they were saying that, uh, well, because the small foreign faction, this is going to be linked to John's business. They thought this right. was an attack for what he did. So whoever is in the business in that company would know how much mm-hmm. his bonus was. Right. So they linked it back to his work. And that's one of the first places they went. Mm-hmm. to talk to people with his work because they were like oh well it must be someone I work with because no one else would know would know that number right yeah right and and I was just looking at it because I was like wow that's true and then I kind of looked at well if they did that why would they make it so obvious to point to them because they knew you know what I mean because he knew that was his bonus and if they knew that they weren't going to pay it because she was already she's already dead they could have asked for anything. Five million, six million, ten million. My gosh, we're so like I have so much to say. (laughs) Okay. But I'm getting way ahead of myself, so I'm not gonna say anything else. Okay, and I'll keep going to on the timeline because I know that there's oh my gosh, this might have to be four parts. Anyway, just so as far as the note goes, I think the point that Douglas was trying to make too is it just didn't seem like a note that a 40-year-old woman would write after accidentally killing her daughter and staging it all for the police like she just it just didn't make sense to him if that were the the thought process here and then we talked about the paper coming from the house so I won't go back over that because we kind of got out of the we got out of out of order out of order a little bit there this is really this case is so hard for me to control myself so if you just need to tell me to shut up and sit back I will like at any time just remind me you're good. I want I want to hear what you have to say. So back to the timeline. The officer uh, officer shows up. They show him the ransom note. We talked about the ransom note. Two sets of their friends now show up. 
Patsy had called them distraught and upset. And so they came, they came over to the house. You have Fleet and Priscilla White and John and Barbara Fernie. Okay, so, but, but I mean, I get it, right? Because I know that if anything like this ever happened in our circle, we would, all, we would come over and we would try to be there to help, right? Like, can we watch the, can we watch Bert? Can we make food? You know, can we help? What can we do? Can we just sit with you? Like, that's what we would do right? Yeah, no, I mean, we've been through really bad circumstances before, and we all know, like, everyone was there who could be there, and yeah, if this ever happened to one of us, we would be there. People are like, who invites their friends over? And I'm like, we would. <laughs> we totally would. Absolutely. I would call you, and that's just the way. And when be. we weren't together during our situation that was very traumatic, we were on the phone with each other, and yeah. we were just helping each other through it the entire night, so yes. I know we would, we would definitely 100% be there. I know you're going to talk about that when you talk about the investigation though, because there's a lot of freaking people in this house. That's all I'm going to yes. say. So I'm going over yeah. the timeline and I'll let you go into all that. But I was just, I'm like, holy cow, they just keep coming. So now we've got both couples. We've got Sergeant Paul Reichenbach now shows up. Hopefully I'm saying his name right. He now calls in. So he's at the house. He calls in a CSI team as well as somebody to come from the victim's witness office, you know, to come work with the Ramses and, and to help kind of intermediate this as you know, as you know, they're working at this being a, being a kidnapping. Okay. So next he calls the phone company and he asks them to tap and trace the lines. You know, they're waiting for this ransom call to come in. And lastly, he calls the detective supervisor on call Sergeant Robert Whitson. So this is like the order that everything happened that I that I could find. I mean, you might have heard it differently, but I'm just trying to put it in order the best to, you know, to the best of my ability. The other thing that they had asked everybody to do, they asked the police to go radio silent in case the kidnapper was listening in on a police scanner. They then do a quick search of the home. And I just want to really say quick search, not a thorough search. They do a quick search of the home. There's no sign of forced entry. He also noted that Patsy was hysterical. And John, he just kind of kept remaining, you know, he just remained calm. He didn't seem to, uh, to really show too much emotion. And it was also said that the two really didn't appear to interact very much. Like they weren't really leaning on each other. They weren't really, again, I don't know how I would act. I don't know what I would do. Especially when I'm when emotional, I want space. Yeah, right. It, you like, right. I found that out when I tried to hug you that one time. I was like, oh shit, I can't do that. <laughs> so <laughs> like, I just, yeah. So everybody's different. Like I said, so the yeah. 911 call, you just don't know how someone's going to act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you really don't. So I, I have a hard time judging people by that, but I did want to put it in there because that's what people were talking about. And so when the friends come by, obviously the women head in, they head, you know, somewhere else. They take her into the sunroom. They're trying to comfort her. So they're together. The men are, you know, in the other part of the house. Then at one point, the guys are trying to do their own investigation. Fleet White wanders uh, down to the storage room. He notices a broken window. He also walks the basement and goes through a small furnace room. And he even makes his way to the wine cellar. But it was really dark and he, he couldn't. He couldn't see anything. He tried to turn on the light, but he couldn't find it. So he just turned around and he went back upstairs. So his search of the basement really didn't turn anything up. John Ramsey then tells everyone that he had actually broken the window months earlier when he couldn't find his keys to get into the house and just never had it replaced. Okay, I guess I could see that. 
maybe it's not a big deal. You kind of forget about the basement. There's so much shit at our house that needs to be fixed. And I, when do you get it done? You just, you know, you put it off. Vacuum around the pink can. Exactly. It just happens. So then at this point, the victim advocates come and there's two of them. So they sent two people. Their job is basically emotional support for the family and to be a liaison to the police. Keep everybody calm. Try to help out where they can. Um, And so, but again, now you're seeing more foot traffic into the house. More people are coming in and out that shouldn't be there. So now as an officer leaves to deliver the note into evidence at the police station, now the Reverend Raul Haberstack of St. John's Episcopal Church also comes to the house. So now Burke is woken up. He's dressed and he's informed that JonBenet is missing and they scoot him out of the house. He leaves with the whites to go to their home. I'm going to reserve my comments for later once again on this one until we get to the investigation because there's definitely a lot that can be said with that move. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. all all the moves need to be talked about. (sighs) Yeah, all the moves. So next, Whitson assigns detectives to the case and informs the Boulder County Sheriff's Department and the DA's office, Peter Hallstrom, the chief of, and Peter Hallstrom, the chief of the felony division. So he lets everybody know what's going on. And and, and I'm trying to keep in mind too that half these people are on vacation or out because it's Christmas. So I don't know who was where to do what job and if this would have been as crazy as it was if it hadn't been the holidays. I will say that. So then Detective Steve Thomas also noted that there was a canine unit with the dog. They were put on standby, but they were never used, which to me is also confusing. But that this is the timeline. This is what was happening at this point. So next, John calls his friend, Rod Westmoreland. He's an attorney and VP at Merrill Lynch in their Atlanta office to arrange the ransom money to be withdrawn. Now, Westmoreland, he secures the credit line on a visa card with the 118000 so that they'd be ready when the kidnappers called. I thought that when there's a ransom, it comes from like police money. So I don't know. That's just what... I guess he had it all ready to go from his personal account. Because it's usually marked. Mm-hmm. You would think, but maybe they were following the whole don't mark the bills or she's beheaded. So let's yeah. put it on a visa yeah. card. I don't know. I don't know. That's weird. It's but... a little lighter to carry, too. Here's a visa card. <laughs> we're going to give you a visa credit. <laughs> you know, gonna... I mean, that's this really is, way this ahead preload, of time. This is a preload visa card. <laughs> Prepaid. Oh, I shouldn't be laughing, but (laughs) okay. Um, Shortly after 8 a.m., Sergeant Whitson contacts John Elter of the Boulder Police Department Detectives Division. He's out of town vacationing in Florida with his family. As I mentioned, it's the holidays, so a lot of people weren't there. But after a few minutes, two more detectives arrived at the house, Linda Arndt and Fred Patterson. They had been brought up to speed already, and they already had knowledge of the ransom note. So I think that, you know, obviously these were the two that were sent in place of who would normally come to the Mm -hmm. home to do this investigation. Uh, Linda helped uh, instruct John on what to say and how to react when they received the ransom call finally. And it just seemed like everybody was anxiously waiting, right? Like just waiting by the phone. Anytime the phone rang, everybody was on edge. They didn't know what to expect. Well, and like I heard 
that they didn't know exactly when the call was going to come through because I think they said they were going to come they were going to call like nine or ten the next day yeah it was between eight and ten a.m but but no one knew what the next day was going to be right because they didn't know if she had been taken before or after midnight so they didn't know if it was the next day or the next day um so John then calls Michael Archuleta he's the private pilot who was going to fly them to Michigan uh, John's two older children, John Andrew and Melinda and her fiance, Stuart Long, were planning to come from Atlanta to Minneapolis where the private plane would meet them and they'd all travel to the vacation home in Charlevoix together. So he asked the pilot to reach them in Minnesota and just take them to Denver. Interesting note here, the Beechcraft plane that they owned was actually named after John's oldest daughter, Beth. Elizabeth was her given name, Beth for short who had been killed in a car accident in Chicago in January of 1992. I just thought that was interesting because, I mean, he just, he has a backstory. He was married before. He has three other children. That's really sad that they've lost two children in that. Yeah. That's so horrible. I I just can't even imagine. So it's now that the police start questioning the Ramses and trying to get their official statement and their version of the story. This is when they recall leaving the whites around 8.30 p.m., making those stops for the gifts, returning, getting the kids to bed, yada, yada, yada. Everything that I told you in the very beginning of the story, this is finally what they tell the officers and they write down as their official story. So it's interesting that it took this long to get that official story put together. At this point, the 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. kidnapping call window is closed for the day. I mean, if that's truly when they were going to call, We've passed that. And again, like I noted on here, unless it was referring to the next day, so then they'd have another 24 hours to wait, which is just just awful in itself. Just You just want to know what's going on. So John was then seen at one point going through the mail that had come into the house through a slot in the door. Some rumors mentioned that he went out to go get the mail. Apparently that wasn't the case. It was just a rumor. Um, And he had said, well, I was doing that because I was anxious and I was looking to see if there was any more communication from the kidnappers from, that's what he said. Right, because he had went out and was walking around. Maybe, maybe he was. Maybe that's why they thought he went out to get the mail. But I mean, I'd probably want some air. I don't know. I look at it. I don't know. I mean, other people might have seen this as odd or casual or, you know, whatever, but I try to remember that people act differently. Like we keep, like we keep saying, we just don't know what we would do in a certain situation. So now it's lunchtime. A few of the officers left to go to the station to work on the case. And the two victims advocates also leave. Detective Linda Arndt was the only remaining officer. It was just her and seven other people that shouldn't be in this house. So it's John and Patsy, Fleet and Priscilla who came back. John and Barbara Fernie and the reverends, that's who's, that's who's left in the house, aren't actually calls Detective Sergeant Larry Mason for backup, but it's noted that nobody came. Again, maybe it's the holidays, they're short-staffed, I don't know. So it's now 1 p.m. on December 26th. Aren't asked John and a few of the men to go through the house once more in case they can see anything related to the crime. John and Fleet head down to the basement where John suggested that they start and work their way up. So the two men go through room by room. They pass a table set up with Burke's trains. They go past the broken window. They see the glass fragments. They're still on the floor. 
not sure again we talked about this why it wasn't fixed i mean who knows but it's there's not a lot of crime in the community they had an alarm system but it was also noted that the kids kept setting it off so it was actually disarmed been disarmed for quite some time you know i get it i guess they see a suitcase near the window and they're thinking well maybe the kidnapper could have used it as a step there was no way to determine that because they had moved the suitcase when they were looking around nobody knows exactly where it was or you know to, to make that determination so they start checking the crawl spaces they retrace their steps to the furnace room they come up to the wine cellar door as soon as john opens the door he sees something so remember before it was too dark and fleet couldn't see anything well at this point he opens it and he notices something and then he screams oh my god oh my god this is what Fleet says, that he screams this and he rushes in to find her body. She's lying on her back on the floor. A white blanket is lying across her torso. She's lying there next to her favorite pink nightgown. Her hands are stretched up over her head, bonded with like a thin cord and duct tape is covering her little mouth. Fleet touches her ankle and it's cold to the touch. So he leaves John, runs up the stairs and asks for help. He's trying to tell them to call 911, call an ambulance. John tries to loosen the binding. He rips off the duct tape and he removes the blanket. And the whole time he's begging her to wake up and talk to him. Her eyes are closed. He then carries her small stiff body upright and around the waist. So I'm trying to imagine this. He's carrying her like this up the stairs. And so at this, at this point, I keep flashing back to my dad and I talking about the case. And the one thing that he kept saying was, I don't know, but I know that her dad carried her up the stairs like a stack of potatoes. He's like, it doesn't make sense to me. He's like, well, that's not carry, how you like, carry your child. No, not like this. Not like this. You cradle her somehow. There's no way. Or She's like six years old. She's like not this. that big. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So that's just the one thing that I kept thinking in my head this whole time. And then when I came up to this part, I was like, oh my God. I get it. I know what he's talking about. Because I think before when I was thinking about it, I didn't realize that she was in full rigor mortis. So I don't know. Maybe I was trying to make an excuse that you didn't uh, realize like her hands were still above her head because she was still she still had the ligatures on her arm. Yeah, he couldn't get them off. Mm -hmm. So he carries her up to the stairs into the living room where Detective Arndt was was standing and he lays her body next to the Christmas tree while Arndt checks her vitals. But as I mentioned, she's stiff. Her lips are blue. She's clearly not yep. with us anymore. So John covers up the body with a blanket before Patsy could see her. And the Reverend prays over her body and performs the last rites right there by the Christmas tree. This is where I'm going to leave you at the end of part one, as the kidnapping case has now gone from kidnapping to murder. Who tells the friends to go start investigating? Investigating and searching though. You know what? Why don't you take a friend and go and see if you can find some evidence? I just mind blown <laughs> the whole time. And I just keep thinking, like, she's the only officer there. I don't I don't remember reading anywhere what her experience was. Like if she was new, she's a rookie, she didn't, I mean, either way, this one officer being left with all these people, 
that should never have happened from what I understand from and I don't know if it, how true it is but of course everything is we say is allegedly right because mm-hmm. none of us were ever there it's just what's been reported is that she was trying to give them something to do like there was just a lot of yeah like, that's what I read around too. and mm-hmm. like you know so she was just yeah. trying to like make up tasks to get people mm-hmm. like well and I don't know how true this is because I read it somewhere else and you probably have read this as well it seemed like for years going through the case with the Ramseys that like Linda was very understanding kind of almost like on their side trying to help them like it seemed like that she was like their go-to person to talk to during this case when it was being investigated like whenever they wanted to talk to police they wanted to go they wanted to talk to Linda I don't know how true that was but then years later when she was being questioned about it about that day about finding the body and 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 the way that everything happened she made a comment that was really bizarre that I read and she had said that at that moment she remembered leaning down and looking at her gun and checking that she had 18 bullets because she didn't know if anybody in that house was going to make it out alive yeah and I was like whoa that's very different than what I heard before. I that she was the go-to person yes so right like she's saying after he brought up John Bonet her and John made eye contact and she said at that time she knew how do you just know I, I mean think, and she said she didn't think she just said the whole entire like room changed like the vibe changed in the room she obviously didn't use the word vibe but she was saying and she just knew and she thought at that point that she didn't know if anyone was going to make it out alive like if he was going to go crazy and just start yeah huh which I could see I mean we I we've seen those situations where it escalates really really quickly Mm -hmm. when something like this has happened it's interesting though. It's just interesting what people are saying in retrospect. Do you know what I mean? Like some of these comments weren't made until years later. I didn't realize that wasn't made until years later. I think I, that's what I read that she had said this years later. And then the other officers that, that read that statement were also very taken aback by what she'd said. Yeah. Cause then another thing that I read was that 20 years later, like 2016, they finally, somebody finally interviewed the 911 operator who yes. answered the call and she said something wasn't right. She said, she's like, nobody ever asked me, but she's like, it just didn't sound. Well, did you hear about what they thought was said at the end of the 911 call when Patsy thought yes. she hung up? Yeah. That, it, that somebody said something to the effect of, what did you do? And then there was a small voice, like maybe Burke saying, what did you see or what do you know? Or something like that. Yeah. Something along those lines. I, I didn't write it down because that wasn't my part yet, but yeah. that is, I do remember seeing that. And then I was hoping it was going to be in the 911 call that I found, but it, it wasn't. Well, that was one of the things. Yeah. It was at the mm-hmm. end of the 911 call. Like that's one of the things that, you know, Patsy obviously thought that she had, you know. That she had hung up. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm interested to hear where this pineapple comes in and all this other stuff that oh, I've heard the about. Pineapple. The There's pineapple. There's so much. I will try not to bore everyone to death. But it's Are you kidding? Hard. I can't hear enough about this. It's crazy. It's like every time I turn a corner, I read something else that like 
nobody ever asked me, but you know what I saw that day? And I'm like, holy shit, how come nobody asked you? What are you talking about? This case has been in the spotlight for how many years? Like, how do you not talk to every? I think it's because they just felt like the work was done. Like it's like you said, it's been in the spotlight for so long that they've done everything. Like, oh, we're not going to uncover anything that hasn't already been thought of. You can't think like that, though. No. All right. Well, I am going to sign off. And <laughs> you're going to pass out in that chair. You when I like do, <laughs> I want a quick update on what this sounds like because I am pretty scared. Shit, it's probably going to be real bad. <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> I think it is too. All right. Well, people, whether we, whether you get to hear it or not, we tried our, <laughs> we tried our best. <laughs> Thanks, Zoom. Uh, we tried. We, we got it. We're so disappointed that like it's glitchy. Yeah. And your voice is like. <laughs> it's really bad. Oh, hey, this shit. is a good, this is good practice. How do though. people do this though? God, forget it. I'm done. <laughs> I gotta go to bed. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for trying. It was really good at least talking to you. That was great <laughs> practice. Great practice. Oh my oh. God. Right. Okay, so rate review. <laughs> Until next time. Until we'll catch you on time. Uh, John Bonet part two. Yep, sounds right. good. Good night. Good night. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs>